My favorite investing quote of all time is, in the short term, the market is a voting machine. In the long term, the market is a weighing machine. I wrote this book to make people aware of what the heck the weighing machine part of that, that statement means. Everybody understands why stocks go up and down. Very few people know what causes the market to go up and down over the long period of time. Uh, generally speaking, if you were to summarize that, the reason the stock market goes up is because... Welcome to the Early Advantage 5 o'clock shout-out edition. Tony Robbins, motivational speaker Tony Robbins, says that mastery of something is mastery of the fundamentals. That's so true, and it's so true of investing. And I can really think of no better person to explain the fundamentals of stock investing, well, say for my arrogant self, really no better person to explain the fundamentals of stock investing than Brian Feroli, who calls himself a financial educator. He's the author of a book called Why Does the Stock Market Go Up? Uh, this is the title, but this is not the actual cover. Uh, I'm still waiting for my Amazon delivery to get the actual book. But Brian, Brian's all over social media, Twitter, uh, YouTube, LinkedIn, wherever, probably platforms I don't even know about. I'm, I'm a Generation X guy. Uh, anyway, and he's hammering home these messages about value investing, Warren Buffett-style investing, uh, finding good companies, holding them. Yes, some of it is like stuff a lot of us know, but it's the stuff we need to have pounded into our thick skulls. Well, not audience of the early advantage. We don't have thick skulls, but let's say everyone else does, or maybe I do. Anyway, Brian is preaching what needs to be preached. I'm happy to have him on the show. He talks about some of the key tenets uh, for investing success in his mind and personal financial success in his mind. And he also talks about a share that, that he's liking or he watches. Uh, I don't know if he's recommending it, but he's he likes it. Um, anyway, then we have Brian Christopher. Speaking of Brian's, maybe we get a, a discount package deal on Brian's this week. Brian Christopher is here with his Bloomberg screen of the week. And I'll let you see what kind of stocks he's talking about. So enjoy the show. My guest today calls himself a financial educator. He's an author, he's a podcaster, and he's a smart guy saying what I think needs to be said a lot more. His name is Brian Feroldi. He's someone I've kind of developed a, I'd call it a mild fascination around. I wouldn't call it a man crush, that's going too far, but mild fascination I think <laughs> is a fair term because he says a lot of the things that need to be said about investing to the point that like I'm almost sick of them, but but it's exactly what I need because it needs to sink through my, my protective logical layer and get deep into my subconscious. And, and that's why I respect him so much. He knows how to say it in a way that really makes it uh, come alive in at least my brain and hopefully yours too after we talk a little bit more with him today. Brian Feroldi, welcome. James, awesome to be here. Thank you for the kind introduction. It, it is my pleasure. And, and let me uh, give you a little stress right off the bat. Let's call it a, a warm-up lightning round, just kind of an icebreaker, a few questions, just so we can get to know you a little bit more. Um, dog or cat? Dog. Long walks or long talks? Ooh, that's a really hard one. I'm going to go with long talks. One. Long talks. All right. Hope your wife agrees. Um, biggest dream you didn't achieve in life? Wow. Uh, owning a limo. Interesting. Um, you'll be a successful investor when? I have enough. I like it. You are also the author, Brian, of a book called Why Does the Stock Market Go Up? And apologies, I ordered it today on Amazon, but it has not come yet. So we must make do with this uh, visual representation of why. Oh, there we go. There we go. A, a, a better, higher budget version of why does the stock market go up? Um, in a nutshell, Brian, why does the stock market go up? 
That's a slightly complex question that needs a, uh, I, I needed to write down in a book. But if I was to summarize it quickly, my favorite investing quote of all time is in the short term, the market is a voting machine. In the long term, the market is a weighing machine. I wrote this book to make people aware of what the heck the weighing machine part of that, that statement means. Everybody understands why stocks go up and down. Very few people know what causes the market to go up and down over the long period of time. Uh, generally speaking, if you were to summarize that, the reason the stock market goes up is because stocks represent fractional ownership of corporations, and corporations derive their value from the amount of profits that they're going to generate now and into the future. So the goal of my book was to make that very simple connection between what the stock market is and the profits that the corporations uh, generate and why, hopefully, for the rest of our lives and beyond, those both of those things will continue to go up. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, the way I explain it, if you look from caveman times until now, we humanity has added a lot of value to society, right? With, with basically technological improvements, maybe some productivity improvements, but basically technology more and more. And when you buy into the stock market, you buy into a piece of that, you know, uh, value addingness of humanity. It sounds like you, though, since you have a book on it, have explained it a lot more refined way than that. Um, but at least that's how I picture it. It sounds like you would sort of agree. That, that That's a big part of it. That That's a huge chunk of it. Uh, I, I the, the goal of my book was to make people aware that there are, that what profits do and what stock prices do are linked in the, in the long term. And I laid down five or six reasons why I believe profits should be able to increase indefinitely. I'm glad you mentioned the word profit because, you know, if you just add value without, uh, in, in, in a way that requires even more value to add that value, then you're not really helping humanity and your stock should not go up. So yeah, do it in a profitable way. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm looking forward to uh, getting the book as soon as Amazon can, can bring it bring it over here. Um, Brian, let me shift to uh, some of my first like investing kind of questions. Uh, I don't mean to sound smug, but just to address the question, the subconscious mind kind of question, I think a lot of people watching this may be wondering is, why should people listen to you? Uh, great question. Uh, I think I do a pretty darn, a pretty good job of making complex topics relatively easy to understand. Uh, but I'm very much an amateur investor, and I mean that in the best sense of the word. Uh, I did go to college. Uh, I studied business. I did get an MBA in, in finance. Uh, but I truly believe that 99% of the things that are in my brain related to the stock market were self taught. Uh, I've read every book that I can get my hands on about investing. I've been a subscriber to The Motley Fool for more than a decade, as we were joking about before. I've been listening to your voice on podcasts for more than a decade uh, now. And I I'm uh, honored slash embarrassed. Thank yeah. you, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I honestly think that some of the best education that I've ever gotten on investing was found on the discussion boards uh, in the behind The Motley Fool's uh, paywall. The number of people that they have attracted that are very intelligent investors that openly share uh, information with each other, share lessons uh, with, with each other. That's the kind of information I did not get in college. But wow, has that been um, incredibly valuable? You know, I, I, I feel very similar to you, Brian. I, I studied finance in college and yeah, I mean, I learned like, you know, NPV, you know, DCF kind of stuff. But uh, I honestly didn't really understand it at all. And, and I had no idea what I was doing when I when I started my first investing job at a hedge fund. And I, I feel like I had to like really teach myself everything the hard way, but that was, that was beneficial. You know, you, you got to do it uh, to, to learn. And then you learn like, oh my God, like 90% of what I, I learned actually 
like isn't like super relevant, but like 10% is super, super important. Uh, and so now I can discard and, and focus on that, which really matters, at least in, in, in my version of the process. Um, let me let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, I said at the intro, you you say a lot of things that like we, we've heard them. And, and when as soon as I hear it, I'm like, oh, it makes total sense. Make this sound so obvious. But like, yeah, if you look at the data, if you look at academic studies, people like, you know, uh, uh, Barbara and Odin, you know, these two two professors, I think they're still in California, um, do a lot of behavioral finance stuff. I mean, people people don't don't follow those obvious things. In fact, they do the opposite. You, you basically have almost an arbit emotional arbitrage advantage by by investing like Warren Buffett, by staying cool, by by not getting overly excited in one direction or the other. If you know, God forbid, you know, you were, you know, getting, uh, you know, beamed up to the afterlife uh, shortly and you had to inscribe a few of your most important investing lessons or principles or understandings you'd like the world to to take away. Uh, what would those be, Brian? Well, if I was to, the, the first thing that I would point out is has nothing to do with investing at all. And that is uh, investing, how good of an investor you are doesn't matter if you don't have capital in, in the first place. Uh, a lot of the content that I create online is about uh, investing and picking stocks because that's just something that fundamentally uh, excites me. Uh, but I firmly believe that your personal finances are an order of magnitude more important than your investing fi fi finances. Uh, so I think uh, everyone should spend time learning how to grow and diversify their income, how to uh, cut their expenses, spend according to their values and save, spending time paying down their debt, building an emergency fund, getting their proper insurance uh, coverage, all that basic boring blocking and tackling. The reason I think that that is so important is because if you invest in the stock market, you are guaranteed to go through periods of immense psychological pain, I guaranteed uh, to do so at, at some point. Dealing with that psychological pain, dealing with the herd, dealing with the negativity that you hear out there, that is very, very hard to do. It is an order of magnitude more difficult to do that if you need the stock market to do something in a time period that you have, have set. If you're betting on the stock market to, uh, to pay off a, a car or to pay off a loan, if you're leveraged in some way, it is so much harder to deal with the volatility that's going to come your way. That's why I'm a huge fan of the barbell method. And loosely speaking, what that means is keep your personal finances extremely conservative. Focus on those first. If you can do that successfully, what the stock market does on any given day, week, month, year, or even multi-year period is truly irrelevant to, because it has no impact on how you live your, your life. That's how I've structured my finances, and it just provides me with immense psychological satisfaction, and it also gives me the ability to deal with far more volatility than the average person can. I, I love that. I love that. I feel that a mismatch of uh, time horizon and investing expectations is the cause of like, you know, 80% of, of, of stock market ills. Um, what's your number as far as like people, if someone's going to put money in the stock market, uh, what just generally speaking, what kind of time horizon should they have? Like, you know, for me, like I might tell somebody five years, like if you're investing for a short period than that, don't put money in the market because you might have a dip. What do you think? Yep, I, I, that's exactly what I say. I say I say five five years. Uh, the data says that over a five year period, uh, I think it's eighty or ninety percent of the time you can expect a positive real return uh, in, in the market. That's a reasonable 
risk uh, to 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 assume. So yeah, but to me, anything less than anything less than three years, um, putting that money into the market is 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 essentially is essentially gambling. Uh, so I, I I agree with you. If you if you don't have at least a five year uh, time horizon for for that capital, it shouldn't be in the stock market. Shifting into things philosophical, passive investing has grown in leaps and bounds. I, mm -hmm. I think, I don't know this year, but passive investing assets eclipsed active investing assets mm -hmm. in the stock market a couple of years ago. Um, is passive investing good for individual investors? It's phenomenal for individual in investors. Uh, I believe that 99% of investors, 99% of uh, people that have money should, if they're going to invest in the stock market, should do so passively. Now, why do I say that? That's not because I think stock picking is, is impossible. Uh, that's not because I think that people aren't smart enough to invest their, their own capital. I say that because from what I've observed, only about 1% of the population is interested in, in the stock market, is interested in, in, fi in finance. And if you are going to invest differently than, than indexing, indexing should be the baseline. If you are going to be investing differently uh, th th than the index, you have to have a, a high level of, of interest. You have no business picking stocks if you're not interested in learning how to read an annual report, read financial statements, learn the vagaries uh, of accounting, think through biases, be able to judge management teams, listen to conference calls. Those are all table stakes for, for picking your, your own stocks if you wish to do so uh, successfully. If you're unwilling to do those things, that is perfectly fine. Just put your money in index funds and call it a day. Absolutely. Um, are index funds good or bad for the market overall? Oh, that's a that's a tricky question to to, to answer. Uh, they are definitely a good thing for investors uh, in, in general. The the average investor, right, just investing passively, buying everything uh, uh, blindly. Um, I've heard this the the the, the counter arguments, just like you have, that eventually, well, if you're putting money in passive funds, there's no chance for price discovery. You're buying indiscriminately. Uh, management teams have uh, an incentive to conform their businesses to comply with capturing funds uh, as opposed to running their business for, for any other reasons. There might be some long-term negatives if indeed 99% of people do uh, index their, their, their put, put their capital into index funds. Uh, but uh, you know, we'll just have to see that uh, in, in the long term. And the more people that, that index, I think the more opportunity that creates for people that are willing to do individual stock investing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously, if, if indexing is bad for the market, then that's bad for individual investors writ large. But it wouldn't be bad for the whole market. It would just be bad for the passive indexers. And that would create further opportunity for the, the active investors. Correct. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's my view, too. But I guess we'll figure that out in a couple of decades. <laughs> exactly. We'll, we'll have time. Um, shifting to more specific questions. Um, you, in your own portfolio, at least to my knowledge, have tended to focus on growth stocks. And, and this year, 2022, uh, late summer, growth stocks are, are, are down. They've bounced back up a little bit the past you know, month or so, but, but down writ large. Um, with the benefit of hindsight, do you look back and think, oh, I was too heavily invested in growth stocks. I should have had some other stuff. Or do you think uh, with more time, your focus will be vindicated? Uh, great question. Hindsight is always twenty uh, twenty, and uh, to I asked that question to my uh, business partner Brian Stoffel today. I thought he just had a fabulous uh, answer. He said, "Well, we are living in one version of history, one version that worked out. Imagine another version where." Um, 
uh, Vladimir Putin had a heart attack in Q4 of 2022. Uh, what would the world be like today? What would valuations be like today? What would inflation be like today? The answer is they would look completely differently uh, today than they were uh, a year ago. If that was the case, what would growth stocks be doing uh, to, today? There, there's a very real chance that they could be at least even with where they were potentially uh, even higher. You are correct that my strategy does tend to tilt towards uh, uh, growth stocks. Uh, by and large, I am looking at companies that I believe can significantly and substantially outperform the market uh, over long periods of time. Uh, I want high returns on capital. I want to buy companies that can 5x, 10x, 20x uh, my capital, at least have a chance uh, of, of doing so. That's to say nothing. Uh, that's not to say that my style is, is best. Uh, dividend investing, I think, works great. Value investing uh, can work great. Uh, however, when I think about what I'm doing, I'm spending extra time uh, in order to get something different than the market market pr pr provides. Uh, if I was going after dividend investing, I think maybe if I did it really well, I could outperform by one, maybe 2% uh, per year, perhaps squeeze out an extra half a percent, maybe one full percent of, uh, of extra dividend return for me. To me, that would be a whole bunch of extra work uh, for myself when I could just, again, index and, and call it a day and earn a, what, 2% yield uh, on my money. Uh, conversely, I think that value investing would be the, would the same, would be the same uh, sort of result. When I look at the thing that actually drives the long-term returns of the market, I know that it's a very very, very small minority of exceptional uh, companies that just deliver gangbuster returns that literally drive the entire market uh, higher. And it's the, the game of investing is all about finding those extreme outliers and getting them into your getting them into your uh, portfolio. By and large, those extreme outliers tend to be companies that rapidly grow their sales for far longer periods of time than anybody um, can can imagine. Uh, for that reason, that's why I focus on. On, on growth stocks, and I go in knowing that one, I'm gonna be wrong a lot, and two, if I can be occasionally really, really right, that's all that's gonna matter. Exactly, and and finding those long-term winners while minimizing the the bycatch or the number of, of losers that come into your net, also, right? I mean, in the 1930s, you know, we, we've had thousands of different car makers come and go in the U.S., and now we've got you know three or four. Um, in the 1990s, we had hundreds of different e-commerce platforms, and you know now we've kind of got Amazon and maybe eBay, maybe a few other tiny ones. Uh, you know we've got thousands of cryptocurrencies right now, and I'm pretty darn sure we're not going to have uh, that many in a couple of years, right? So every new industry is like that. You got a whole bunch of new entrants, and then almost all die uh, or get bought out or get bought out by by the one or two big winners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's correct. So that's anyway. just the, the, the nature of, uh, uh, of capitalism. But what I love about investing is, let's say I make 20 investments. I go in knowing I'm going to lose money on at least 10 of them. I'll do okay on eight of them. And just one or two could be such massive winners that the entire process of spending that time finding those 20 companies will be worth it. And and something I saw actually on one of your one of your live streams or ask me anything uh, broadcast, Brian, is you, you had a graphic with I think it was Netflix, Home Depot, uh, Amazon. At one point, Amazon was down ninety five percent before it went up to rise almost sixty thousand percent. After that, uh, a lot of these long term winners were like massive losers for for certain periods, and at that time, probably most everybody holding it felt like an idiot, uh, and and only the few who were patient enough. To hold uh, got those spoils. Now you got to contrast that thought, or, or at least buddy that thought, with the notion that you know 
there are a lot of Kodaks out there, a lot of blockbuster videos out there too that also go down 95% and keep going down the remaining uh, five percentage points. Um, you know, that's 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 life also. And and just like with anything in life, whether it's a, I don't know, a marriage, a job, a, a project, like the decision, should I keep waiting, keep trying a little bit more, or should I get up, give up right now and cut my losses? That's one of the hardest like formats of decisions to make in life. Do you have any like, specific like guidance around how you make that decision in investing. Uh, so I can actually share that uh, picture. Uh, yes, it's, it's, these are the return. So these are the, these are the companies that are literally some of the biggest winners of the last 20 years, period. You, you could not do any better than buying these companies out there. And then here are the downturns. Here are the peak, uh, peak, uh, peak to trough downturns that these stocks put their investors uh, through. You know, the funniest thing about this chart is that Tesla is the least volatile uh, of any <laughs> of any of them. United Health Group down 90%, Amazon down 92%, Monster Beverage down 90%. Uh, uh, and to your point, these are the best. These are the best. These are the, these best. Are the yeah. top 1%. Uh, this, again, goes to prove what I said at the start of the show, which is just how important it is to take care of your personal finances. Because if you are going to get into the game of picking individual stocks, you can be guaranteed that something that you love is going to get smashed just absolutely smashed, uh, clobbered uh, for reasons that may or may not have something to do with the company. Uh, Charlie Munger said it best. Uh, Berkshire is down 50% four times, four separate times uh, throughout his history. And he was asked, does that bother you? And he said, no. He said, that's just the, that just comes with common stock investing. And if you're unwilling to deal with that, you're going to deal with, you're going to get subpar returns uh, forever. Uh, to your question about how do you tell if this is a temporary thing or if it's a if it's a long term uh, a trend, that's a very, very hard thing to do. I'm not going to say, of course, Amazon was going to recover. Of course, it was going to do so. But that's resulting. That's we know the answer. And it seems obvious uh, in, in hindsight. The same could have been said about Pets.com if that one worked out or any of the ones that, that, that failed miserably. Uh, this is why I spend an inordinate amount of my time focusing not on what the stocks are doing, but rather focusing on what the businesses uh, are doing. I can't tell you what m many of the companies that I own have their stocks have done over the last day, week, month, year, or, or, or quarter, or, or year. But I can tell you what all of their earnings reports have said over the last uh, a quarter or two. I can tell you the direction of their customers, my guess for the direction of the moat, the direction of their margins, and the direction of their, their new products. If those things are trending in the direction that makes me smile, then I'm pretty confident that eventually the stock will catch up. Knowing that I'm going to be wrong a whole lot, and I'm going to hold a whole bunch of losers way too long. But doing that and going through that process of holding losers too long would be significantly outweighed by me selling the next Apple, the next Amazon, the next Netflix early. And I think what you just said, I mean, if I were trying to explain the essence of successful investing to my son, I, I, would, I would pause that and rewind and, and make him watch that again, because like, it's it's what you're omitting. That's the key part. It's not just finding the business model you like. You know, looking into the future, getting projections. You know, falling in love with the company, thinking, well, that, we don't want to do that. But like, you know, uh, being familiar with the company and getting getting uh, a model and a set of projections that you're comfortable with. It's holding to your belief. It's putting those like you know, city horse drawn. You know, the horses in the city have those blinders. You know, they can't get scared by what's going on to the sides. It's putting those blinders on. 
been holding to that belief when you've got warning signs flashing, 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 flashing. You're an idiot. This is crazy. The market says you're wrong. The market says you're wrong, right? That's so hard. Yep. That's so hard to keep to that belief when, when you're getting like, like just such massive negative negative reinforcement. But you know, those who can do that, and I would say that's one of the most important skills of investing, are the ones who make those, you know, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 percent returns. It's it's your uh, I've heard it called your capacity to suffer, not just your not just your um, it, not just in theory in in reality. And, and to your point, you know, I wasn't investing during the the uh, the dot com bust. I was not an investor at at that time. Looking back, it's very easy for me to say now 2002, buying opportunity. So many great businesses were on a massive uh, sale. But that's looking backwards and me just seeing an up and down uh, a blip. Uh, I can't imagine how challenging it would be to be a tech investor starting in the year 2000 and then to have to live through two years in real time, in real time, and dealing with the, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're, for, for two years in, in a row. We, we are currently, uh, my portfolio peaked in February of 2021. So I'm about 15, year, 15 months mm -hmm. into my portfolio being down uh, from the peak. And it's been pretty much pain. It's just been pure pain uh, the entire way. But nothing has changed my resolve that I still want the vast majority of my capital in the stock market over long periods of time. And I remain optimistic about the future of all the companies that I hold, as well as humanity uh, in general. But maintaining that positive attitude while you while you're but to your point of the signals, you're saying you're wrong the entire time, day after day. It's so challenging. Speaking of companies that you like or that you appreciate or you think maybe others should appreciate more, what are like what's one or what are a couple companies that are that are kind of on your dashboard now that you'd like to talk about? Uh, sure. Uh, one of my favorites is one of my biggest winners of, of, of all time, well-known to many companies, and that's Mercado Libre. Uh, the ticker symbol there is M-E-L-I. Uh, this is the eBay slash PayPal slash Amazon um, slash Craigslist uh, of, of Latin America. And this is a, a company that has been on the public market for for a couple of decades uh, now has been a tremendous uh, long-term winner and even to this day is still growing at rates that make my my, my jaw drop. Uh, this is a company that still has a huge opportunity uh, ahead. Um, there are still hundreds of millions of people in its core geographies now that are yet to come uh, online. And this company has so many irons in the fire. I think it's built itself a, a nice moat and boy, does have, I, I believe it has a bright future ahead. M-E-L-I is the ticker. Um, Brian Froley, if someone is watching, and I, I suspect people are watching and, and their feelings fall somewhere between that fascination and man crush level, they want to learn more, they want to know more about you, where can they go? To do that, uh, sure. The, the the easiest way to connect with me is on Twitter. I'm at Brian Feraldi. I'm very active on that platform. Uh, if you're interested in uh, individual stock stock investing, uh, you can check out my YouTube channel, which is also my name, just Brian Feraldi. Easy enough, Brian Feraldi. Thank you very much for taking the time to, to be here with us, and thanks to you guys for watching at home. Thanks for having me, James. Hi there. I'm Brian Christopher. I write the Follow the Money newsletter at South Bank Research, and today we're returning to a topic that we've addressed previously in these videos, because it's that important. But first, did you know that one of the names I mentioned in the 13 July video is up 67% since then? We can't give you definitive guidance on all of these names. Our paying subscribers would, wouldn't be okay with that, but these are real ideas that you can benefit from. 
And if your issue is that you still have stuff to learn, then post your questions in the chat. If the regulators allow us to answer them, we'll do our best to do so. Back to today's topic. It's a repeat, but we wouldn't bring it up again if it wasn't that important. It's inflation. Everybody's scared of it for good reason. Inflation increases the costs of the items you buy. As such, it diminishes your purchasing power. The value of your currency erodes. So what should you do about it? I suggest you do the obvious thing. In these videos, we consider the situation. Today we have an inflationary environment and central banks are increasing rates. We enter some inputs into our system and tell you what may be a solid strategy for confronting it. Per an essay published by the U.S. White House in July 2021, I learned the last historical comparison today's inflation took place from July to August 2008. I looked for the best performing stocks in Europe, North America, and Latin America over this period. During this period, 58 stocks generated returns of greater than 50%. Does it surprise you to learn that 11 of them were banks? They were all from the U.S. and Europe. Think about it. When central banks increase interest rates to fight inflation, the banks are beneficiaries. The rates at which they lend money rise. That means so long as they can increase the rates they charge for loans by more than they have to pay their customers, their margins rise. They make more money. But these days, based on what I hear from the media about banks, it doesn't seem like anyone cares. I was interested to learn if that was the case. Are bank stocks improving, but not moving? I ran a Bloomberg screen searching for banks in the countries we follow the most, the UK and the continent of North America. I searched for banks with a market cap greater than 100 million US whose net interest margins are on the rise. That's when we want to buy bank stocks, when the amount of money that they're earning is rising. You'll also note I included one other metric, the efficiency ratio. A bank's efficiency ratio is its non-interest expenses divided by its revenue. The lower, the better. These are the expenses it has to pay regardless of interest rates. If these are low compared to its sales, that's good. An efficiency ratio of 50 or less is attractive. That took us down to 43 names. So we downloaded them and kept cutting. Next, we ranked the companies by those who had seen the greatest increase in both net interest margin and free cash flow yield. We took the top six names. Our top two scoring banks are from the Republic of Georgia. The second two have market caps under 300 million US, and the last two couldn't be much different, but they all met the criteria of our search and scored the highest. I don't doubt the process. These are the names we were looking for. So the first two names confirmed our thesis. They have already been moving higher. These are two of our three London-listed London firms. They're both seeing solid sales growth 
well, after they took a hit, that is, because the share prices of both TBC Bank Group, that's TBCG on the LSE, and Bank of Georgia Group, that's BGEO in London, they both fell after Russia invaded the Ukraine, but they've come back lately. And while the numbers look good right now, you'd have to do a complete risk assessment given the proximity of the war to consider investing in these names. Our next two names also have similar one-year charts. Rate increases have increased margins at OP Bancorp, that's ticker OPBK in the US, and Bankwell Financial Group, that's ticker BWFG in the US. The promising thing to me is they're still trading below their year-to-date highs. These are our two smallest names, but they are generating some solid sales growth. Per Bloomberg, both have a price-to-earnings ratio of less than eight, and shares have started to respond to the rate hikes. What a, mi what a mix of names. Uh, our final pair of stocks includes Lloyd's Banking Group, that's L-L-O-Y on the LSE, and I doubt many have superimposed its share price against that of North Carolina-based Live Oak Bank shares. That's ticker L-O-B in the U.S., but we're doing it. Live Oak lends to small businesses. Its second quarter sales were up 47% versus the prior year. Yet, its market cap is less than 120th that of Lloyd's, which offers tons of banking and financial services. The companies are very different, yet the charts are similar. Not the same, but similar. Lloyd's pays the largest dividend yield of any of these six companies, while Live Oak pays the smallest. That said, we know Lloyd's shares have struggled over the years, and it's basically been range-bound since the end of 2008, though you can make some money if you time it well. Lloyd's continues to try to recoup its 2015 highs. Today's, today it trades at a price-to-earnings ratio of less than seven and offers value on paper, but I'd like to see a confirmed uptrend here. It has popped from its recent July low, but shares are weak over this past week. This is a complicated entity, so it will require more vetting. All of these do, but they passed the first tests, are screening, that's positive. I've offered you a range of well-run banks that have begun to benefit from increased net interest margins. Feel free to include a note in the comments if any of these appeal to you and why. One final note that I'll pass along, the smallest two names, OPBK and BWFG, show the most consistent insider buying of the six. I mention it in case that appeals to you. We're constantly on the watch for insider buying in my newsletter, Follow the Money. That's because insiders know more than anybody else about the companies that they run. Thank you for watching.